Welcome to another episode of At Home with Leaders, this series that is part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. Its aim is to unearth stories and insights from the top people within high performance and what they're doing now with a bit more time on their hands and what they're planning when sport returns to all of our lives. We're delighted to announce that this podcast is supported by Football Manager, the global hit computer simulation game. Now, if you're a similar age to me, you'll no doubt be fully aware of the game of Football Manager and how the endless vital hours have been filled in the last decade or so. However, what you may not know is that Football Manager is built on the largest and most comprehensive database in world football, featuring more than 350,000 active players and staff across 51 countries and compiled by more than 1,300 scouts. In today's data age, Football Manager data is used by professional clubs at all levels to help identify talent to optimise their recruitment process. To find out more, email data at footballmanager.com. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners and say a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. It's also a pleasure to have my co-host alongside me once again. It's top sports psychologist, friend and colleague, Mr. Michael Caulfield. How are you today, Michael? Good morning. I'm, I'm very well and um, delighted to say I'm back again with Dean Smith, who I met at a Leaders in Performance conference at, at Emirates about four years ago. So it's good to be back with Dean this morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Good to hear. And yeah, it really is a pleasure. I'm speaking for the first time with Dean, but Michael knows him very well. And obviously, Dean is the head coach of... Premier League Football Club, Aston Villa. Dean, a very good morning to you. How are you today? Yeah, good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Getting used to these uh, conference calls and podcasts and, and, and whatnot. Uh, I remember studying on my pro licence in 2007 and doing conference calls and thinking, when will I need this? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been proven otherwise. Absolutely. The time, time is now. What is your, uh, what's your working from home setup like? I guess it's not something you're particularly used to as a as a head coach, what can you see right now? Where are you got an office you're working in? Yeah, I've got an office that I'm working out of at home. Michael knows me very well, and uh, I've tended not to take work home. I've always cherished the once I could cross the the doorstep that it's my family time rather than the work time. So my work has always been pretty much done at the training ground and and, and on a match day, and uh, and very much kept family life to to what it should be, which is family life. Uh, you know. But unprecedented times, uh, unprecedented measures, and have to take work home at, at the moment. And how how is the uh, situation both at home? You know, I hope everyone's well. And how how is the family at Aston Villa as well? Yeah, uh, home home life is really good. My boy, he's twenty two, and he's uh, doing a scholarship out in in America. So he he came back mid March. His university had closed, and the online learning so. Um, we've got him home and my 17-year-old daughter, obviously, all school shut. So my wife is quite happy uh, playing full-time mum again, which she hasn't been <laughs> doing for a while. So home life's really good, uh, obviously. And the the Aston Villa side of it is, is good as well. I mean, we've had to come up with, obviously, new measures at the moment to, to keep in contact with, with a lot of people. But everybody's well. We, we, we've had a, obviously... Um, a touch of being very close to it. One of our masseurs contracted COVID-19 and ended up in ICU. So, you know, it was worrying time, but he's managed to pull through. Great on that point, Dean, has this given you an opportunity to, to reflect on all that you've done so far in your in your career, first as a player and now as a, a coach, a manager, and I must say as a leader? And do you think you'll be making any different plans to, to freshen up your approach when you get back to the training ground uh, at Villa? Yeah, no, it will do. I mean, reflection's been, been massive, but... Mainly, 
reflection on this season because this season is still going. Obviously, we've got ten games left to play. You know, our first season back in the Premier League and my first ever season in the Premier League. And you know, there's been a lot of things to to learn, uh, learn from, and you know, to take forward now. And you know, just on reflection, I've I've managed. You know me, I'm not one who, who normally goes back and watches lots of games, but I've watched every single game what that we've played this season and there's certainly things to take. And I've managed to do a review by video with, with every player from this season, which, again, during the season, I would never get the chance to do. Um, so it's been really good. Uh, but I'm never one to go and reflect back on my playing career and what I've done previous. I'm you know, very much in the now and, and in the future. Speaking of the future, I know this is an impossible question, Dean, but you and I have had so many deep conversations. I remember many of our conversations over the years at Brentford. What do you think football may look like post-COVID? Because I don't think any part of the world will be the same as it was before we went into it. What might football look like, do you think, post-coronavirus? It's hard to say because it's you know something that's never hit us before. Um, we've never had to deal with it before. You know, we're we're all hoping that it goes back to normality. But what will normality look like? You know, in three four months' time. Um, you know, the likelihood is we'll be playing in empty stadia. You know, which is going to bring its own, you know, differences from what you're used to. You know, so it, it's hard to tell. But we've got to try and look at them answers to to find out what it will be look like. What it will look like. Certainly having games in empty stadia, um, the social distancing rule probably been in place for a long time and in restaurants, you know, a lot of my learning from about my players and that it's something I, a place of great importance is, is during the, the dinner times, the canteen times, the lunch times when you, you sit together and you, you chew the fat. Will that ever be the same again? Or are you going to have to sit, you know, two metres apart and... It's very difficult to to plan ahead of what's what's going to come, but you know we're going to have to look at a different lot of different different measures of of what's to come, I suppose. And there are, you know, you t- you touched one of there how you've been reflecting and reviewing with your players, which I think is brilliant. You know, the the opportunity to to do that, like you said, you wouldn't necessarily have that time or opportunity in the in the season. Have you been interacting with your players in different ways, not just in from that perspective, but the way that you know you've been talking to your players and staff, and how have you been approaching that? And and do you think certain things have worked well, and maybe other things maybe haven't worked so well? Yeah, well, as I said, I've done a, a review with each of the players. Um... You know, I've been having regular, probably three times a week, we have a, a Teams chat with our our coaching staff. Um, but we've been doing group chats as well with the players and, you know, giving them clips, giving them matches to, to review themselves and they review back to us. And, you know, we had one last night for yeah, only meant to be 45 minutes. It ended up an hour, hour and a half. And, you know, really good chat with the players, which, again, you don't normally get the chance to do. But they're sat at home at the moment and, you know, I think they actually welcome, I'm going to call it a distraction, it's not a distraction, but looking back at the matches and looking to review them back to us and actually getting back to some normality of talking about football again. And it's been really helpful to to all of us um, and understanding what we need to do when we get back and, you know, uh, the things that we need to improve on as a team, obviously, at this moment in time, we're we're in the bottom three with a with a game in hand, and we know what we need to to get better at. So it's been great having them conversations in small groups. We've split the the whole squad into four groups, and um, you know have great chats. 
can I ask you a further question then, Dean? Because I look upon you as a leader, and I think up in Birmingham with Man- with, with with Aston Villa, it's it's a leadership role as much as a management and coaching role. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, where did you learn to lead from, Dean? Was it did you always think you'd be a natural leader, or did you really have to work on it from your when you when you finished your playing career? This is something I've reflected on over the years, especially when I become a manager, because I was a I was captain when I was I captained every club I played for. Um, but then I think even back before then, probably captain the school team, my Sunday league team. And so I look at my process now of why why I pick a captain. I remember doing a, a study on choosing a captain for my pro license. Brendan Rogers was on there. Roy Keane was on there. Ian McParlin, people, people like that. And I, I asked everybody, what, how do you choose your captain? And people have the ideas of what it takes to be a captain. But there's loads of different reasons. Usually the biggest reason is it's going to be somebody who plays every week. So you want somebody who's consistently performing at a a good level that's going to play every week. So, you know, probably that's one of the reasons why I was chosen. But I remember Kenny Hibbett, one of my my first managers, he he made me captain at 19. I was the youngest ever captain at at Warsaw. I remember asking him why. He said, well, you always had an opinion. And I wanted somebody who had an opinion and who wasn't afraid to voice them. You know, so being captain at each club has probably helped me uh, become a leader, you know, without actually understanding at that time why. Because you actually learn on the job. You learn on the job as, as a manager as well. You you do all your pro license or all your coaching badges to to become a, a a head coach and manager but nothing ultimately gets you ready for it you actually learn on the job and the one thing you need is time uh, so i look back at all them jobs as a captain and my job as the captain was to be an example for the others to not just follow but to help them become other leaders as well because if you're a leader who just has followers i don't think you're a very good leader. I think you've got to be a leader who helps to provide other leaders. And hopefully, you know, there's players who I played with who can vouch that, you know, I was a good captain and a good leader at that time. And I've gone on to become a coach of youth team football, assistant manager, and now a manager and uh, have took them qualities along with me. One further question, Dean, then, if, if I may, because I've, I've known you for, for several years now and, and, and I treasure the relationship. But it strikes me that through the time I have known you, you've never, ever changed. And the people who I've asked about you and your older friends and your ex-players and, and your staff, they say you've, you've never changed despite the incredible career you've had and now you know, leading one of, the, one, of the, one of the biggest clubs in, in Europe. Do you think you are still being yourself, even though you're now in a much higher profile role at Aston Villa? Are you, are you still the same Dean Smith as you've always been? Yes and no. I mean... My values will always be my values. My ethics will always be my ethics. But you have to evolve as a coach and as a person. Football, when I played, is different to football now. And players are different. You go to schools, you go into schools now and they teach differently. And we probably coach differently. I remember probably for the first four years of my career, and you know, I played a lot of games, 700, but it was a modest career in the lower leagues. And... You know, I remember being told what to do for the first three or four years. And I was, well, actually, I can see this and I can see this and I can see this. And I felt that I was probably stifled a little bit as a player because I was told what to do rather than, you know, being guided and discovering myself. Um, So I tend to, you know, go on the other side. While you have to be authoritative and demanding of your players and, you know, um, give them responsibility, but you've also got 
allow them to become, you know, uh, themselves, be the players that, you know, they they can become. So, you know, I'll never change in, in terms of my values and my value system and what it is, but I've had to evolve as a, as a coach because I feel that, that players are different now to what they were when, when I came through as a player. So I can't go back and say, when I was a player, I did this. What I look at is the top players. That's good practice. Look at the top players, what they do. I'm very, very lucky at the moment that, you know, I've got one of the top players in John Terry as my assistant manager. So, you know, uh, the chats that we have just, you know, in and around the training ground and the lunch times and just the phone calls, I'm learning from him while as much as he's learning from me as well. I think that's refreshing to hear. You know, I think all the, the top people we speak to definitely are humble enough to say they're they're always learning. Just to go just to go back to your you know, you mentioned your journey there and um in terms of learning your trade as a manager, I know that obviously your first role as a head coach or first team manager was um with Walsall professionally. But am I right in thinking that when you were with Leighton Orient, you know, as that assistant manager role and, and other roles, you learned a lot there, especially you know, maybe working with people like Barry Hearn. You know, how 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 did you learn your trade as a as a manager and also as a leader from, from those sorts of times? Yeah, well, my, my first coaching role was at Leighton Orient. Um, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, Martin Ling, who I spoke to yesterday and I speak to regular, who's now the director of football at Leighton Orient and obviously went through um, a real struggle with, with mental health and, um, you know, has come through the other side of it, which is really pleasing to see. But mm-hmm. Martin phoned me up. Uh, I was playing for Port Vale. He said, I've just seen the goals against you. He said, your legs have gone. Come and be my youth team. Come. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, I possibly knew my legs had gone about three years earlier, but I was st- still <laughs> still fighting for that career of, of playing. And I always said to myself, I wanted to play as long as I could. But it came to a bit of a D-Day. And I'd been coaching from probably the age of 26. You know, when I was playing at Leighton Orient, I used to go in and coach the the uh, young age groups there. And I used to go out on a, a Wednesday night and coach four to five teams on a on a Wednesday, just local teams, just going out. And so I used to enjoy it, giving a little bit back as well. And uh, I went back to to Orient, packed in my career uh, as a player and felt that I needed to get on that rung of the ladder. And he was working with somebody who, who was, as I say, was a really good friend of mine. And I remember the first day of, of, the, of that, of, of going in as a coach and, I had my session all planned, 14 youth team players. Uh, I got in and met everybody. And then Martin Martin said, oh, by the way, we need 10 of your players. So I ended up having to adjust straight away. My first day ended up with four players. And I suppose that's taught me an awful lot about how you have to adapt very quickly as a coach. Um, but I spent six months as the, as the um, youth team manager there. And then Martin moved me up as assistant manager for four years, and we had we had a successful time there. We got um, Leighton Orient promoted for the first time in a, about twenty five years, I think it was at Oxford on the last day of the season. And as you say, working with with Barry Hearn, who Barry used a very successful sports promoter, everything he seemed to touch was was going well. But you know, uh, still got a very good relationship with him now, and. Yeah, them them first four and a half years of coaching were, were were great. Really enjoyed it. And looking back at it, I was probably um, more stressed as an assistant coach than I ever have been as a manager. Why is that? I think because I didn't have control. <laughs> I'm not a control freak, but 
you know, I saw the pressures that Martin had and my job was to give Martin as much help and advice as I could. But ultimately, Martin made the decisions. I think the control of being the decision maker is probably less stressful because, you know, you live or die by the sword, so to speak. Whereas as, as the assistant, your 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 job is to support and uh, and help and and give advice where you can. How have you managed to, which I saw live every week at Brentford, you're the best I've seen, I can tell you that now. You're the best I've seen at not taking it home with you because you never got too high when we won and you never certainly got too low when you lost and you weren't defined. Your mood was never defined by a result. I remember the first time I started with you, we got beaten 5-0 on the Saturday before. And again, you you, you never displayed that emotion and that anger if, we'd, if, if you'd lost or that excessive joy when you won. Did you teach yourself that calmness or does that come naturally to you because you don't take it home? Do you, no, I, I, I've had to teach myself it, to be fair. Um, how do you do that, Dean? Because th- this would be absolute gold, I think, to young coaches know how you taught yourself to remain in that state. Well, when, when I left Leighton Orient, I was probably scarred a little bit because I had such a good relationship, obviously, with, with Barry and Martin, and we, we ended up losing our jobs. And people will tell you, you know, uh, I think um, Sir Alex Ferguson says that, you know, Getting sacked that first time is the the thing that really makes you sit up, and I it it felt like a death in the family. Me and Martin leaving a club we'd had such a strong affinity with, um, you know, we then had to go and f- form our own careers in different pathways. You know, Martin went one way, and I went another, and I went back to coaching young kids, and I really enjoyed it, and went to work for another former colleague of mine, um, Chris Hutchins. And after two years, unfortunately, Chris lost his job at Warsaw and I was asked to take over as caretaker manager and I never wanted the job. So, and I said to the chairman straight away, you know, I don't want the job. But the first game I had, I was hooked, having control of, of, of the team, making decisions. And just that 90 minutes, I loved the, I loved the match day and uh, I, I was hooked by it. But... I remember the third or fourth game um, we'd got beat and I wasn't happy with certain things. And after the match, I'd I'd had a little little go in the dressing room at, at the players and went back into my, my room and had a bit of a headache and thought, God, I've got to go and do the most important thing now, which is go and talk to the press about the game. When I got home that night, I thought, I'm never going to put myself in that position again because I had a headache. I'd gone into my office and I then had to go and speak to the press which is never a good thing when you're, when you're emotional. And I said to myself, after the game, give yourself some time. You can't go and change the result. You need them players again next week. And the most important thing is the message I get out in the press. So there were them three things that made me change. You know, knowing that you know, I can't change the result. I need the players and the, the message that I want to get out to the press after the game. Monday, when we go back in, we can all sit down. There's no emotions in there. We can just sit down and actually talk about the game and talk about what we need to improve on, what we need to do better in a more rational rational point of view. There's always a time to, to go in and, and give them a reminder of, you know, uh, an emotional, emotional time. But I think it's uh, few and far between, certainly for me to go and do that. You mentioned now that, that so much has changed in your time uh, in professional sport, particularly football. We, li- we live in a world where, where data is, is prevalent. Sometimes it's for the best and sometimes it's, it can, I think, be a distraction. 
but you still talk about trusting your eyes and instinct as much as the numbers. And what's your view on trusting your instinct as much as the numbers, please, Dean? I've always been a, a gut instinct sort of person, but what data gives you now is evidence, I suppose. You know, your eyes and ears and your feel is, is so important, certainly in match situations. But in training, if you've got a feeling that somebody's not pointing it in now, you've got the, the data with the GPS and the, the heart rate monitors now to to actually question a player's uh, question a player whether he's actually you know uh, working hard enough. So it gives you evidence, but also you know it's a big part of recruitment now. You know you can narrow your search very quickly by using data models, uh, which we use very successfully at Brentford. And you know, but you still need to go and watch these players. You still need to find out about their characters, their personalities whether they're going to fit in uh, with what you know you see as uh, your environment at your football club. And you have a feel for it when, when you first meet these people, whether they're going to be right or not. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very much still with the feel and the gut, but I certainly uh, use an awful lot of data as well. I guess part of that gut and those eyes and using your instinct is, is about the relationships you have with people, Dean. And an obvious question, I guess, is how important of those relationships being in your career, but can, can you pinpoint exactly, um, you know, how these relationships and these people um, help you on a day-to-day basis and how, I guess, they've they've maybe improved and shaped you as a, as a coach, not just at your time with Villa, but again, you know, throughout your time as building towards the lead you are today? Well, the most important relationships for, for any manager is with the players because ultimately they're the ones who are going out to perform on the pitch. Um and Michael mentioned earlier, I've never been a results person. It, it, it's Listen, I'm in the results industry, which sounds really weird, but I've always been a believer. If you get performances, then you'll get results. So I've always worked on that performance from the players um, and as a team. So getting them relationships with the players is really important. And every 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 person has human needs and the players need to know they're wanted. They need to know that improve that they're going to improve, and they need to know that you know they're going to be successful in what they do. So, you give them pathways individually and collectively as a team uh, of of what your vision is for them and how they can achieve their goals. And they set the goals, and you set the goals with them. Um, you know that's that's the most important relationship. The next most important relationship is obviously with your coaching staff, making sure that you've got a great understanding. Um, they're not just yes men. They're going to, you know, question and and provoke discussion because what you don't want is somebody who's just going yes, 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 because, you know, you're never learning then. They're just agreeing with you. And I've been very lucky. You're working with Richard O'Kelly, John Terry now, but probably the first one I, I ever made my assistant manager was Chris Nickel, who'd been a really successful manager at Southampton and, and Warsaw. And, uh, you know, his way was totally different to mine, but I learned so much from him, um, you know, with the constant questioning of why I do things. But then the last relationship is the owners. That's one of the most important owners, CEOs. And I can honestly say out of all the clubs I've worked with, Warsaw, Lake, Lake Orient, Warsaw, Brentford and, and Aston Villa, I would go, I could go out with for, for dinner with all of the owners and all of the CEOs, you know, now because... At the end of the day, it's their club. You you have to have a good relationship with them. As it, again, 
you're not always a yes man because you've got your philosophy and your reasons why you do things. But they're ultimately the ones who, who pay the money. And if you get into an argument with an owner, then there's only one winner. Yeah, absolutely. Just to jump in, I know, Michael, you've got a follow-up question. But before that, I guess the word really important to all of that is trust, right? So, you mm. know, that trust uh, that the players have in you and the staff have in you and also the trust, I guess, that the you know managing, managing up you know the, the the ownership having you as well uh, from from your time as a captain from your time as a as a staff member and now as a as a manager how I think it'd be useful for for people listening how have you gone about to build that trust is it is it time you know extra time with people is it being very clear from the outset what you expect and the values what is it is it a mix of all all of them can you can you talk to that kind yeah. of trust element a little bit no it, it, it's a mix but the the word consistent is key. You've got to be consistent in your, in your message, consistent in what you do, and consistent with how you deal with people. Um, people like to see consistency, and they will they then start to trust you. Um, if they see you saying to some one thing to one player and another thing to another, and treating people differently, then you I feel you have problems. Um, I've always made a, a point of if I'm leaving any player out of the team, I will. I will pull them and talk to them and give them the reason. It was something that probably annoyed me as a player. I can say I rarely got left out because I was new, usually captain. But if you did, um, it'd just be you left out. There wouldn't be a reason. So I wouldn't know what I had to do about that. So, But consistency is the, is the key thing. Making sure that you're consistent. Listen, players are all different and some will need different ways of, of managing, the, managing them. But the message has to be consistent. Dean, can I ask you that? You, you mentioned that your, your assistant, Richard O'Kelly, because I've never seen you two agree on anything. Even the day of the week, I think you two would have a squabble over it. But what I learned from you, particularly at, at Brentford, is that you welcomed your view being challenged and questioned, not, not, not in a disrespectful way, but everyone was entitled to have their own point of view, even me as, a, as the non-football member of, of, of your staff. If I look across leadership now, well, well outside football, even up to the highest levels of office uh, in, in the country, Sometimes the hardest thing is to is to challenge the leader, challenge the manager. But did you work out that being challenged was a good thing for your leadership skills? Yes, definitely. Uh, I need I need to be challenged. It, it's what gets my juices flowing. Um, I'm, I'm one who wants as much information as possible. Um, give me information, and then I'll I'll make a make a decision on the back of it. Because it it's very easy after after a match, you know. You've already got a team planned for the next game in your head regarding that match. But that can be emotional sometimes, you know, and you that team will start tra- changing during the week as you're watching the training training sessions. But I need information. I need information from the, the performance guys with the data that I'm getting from training, the the data from the, the last game, but also, you know, from my, my assistants, what their eyes and ears are telling them as well. Obviously, analysts as well. There's, so I want as much information as I can, and then I try and process that. And as I say, I welcome that 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 nature of of my assistants, you know, questioning. Therefore, do you work very hard on the on the people side of the culture at your football clubs uh, as a, as a leader because they they determine everything in the end. Yeah, I mean, culture is the biggest biggest thing of any successful sporting team. If you've got a good culture, then you'll have a good team. But it all comes down to people. You know, getting good people in there, and good people is, you know, they all have their own personal targets, but they're not selfish with it. What they are, they're they're good team players. 
but they have their own personal targets to go and achieve and reach and they keep pushing everybody day in day out we had a we have a saying and Richard will come away and say well that was another interesting day and that's what I want I don't want to go into to work and it just to be a normal day I want every day to be interesting interesting for the players because it intensifies the training it makes sure they're learning but also for for the staff as well it's got to be interesting to make sure that you know we're all pushing ourselves to to you know continue in our education I know that you turn to other sports, you turn to other walks of life. So my final leadership question, because I used to quiz you for hours uh, and you never turned me down. So please don't do it now. Uh, what does a good leader look like, Dean, in, in your eyes in, in the current era? Uh, what does a good leader like? look like? One who's comfortable in himself. You know, um, you, you look at the, the top teams in, in the Premier League at the moment, Manchester City and Liverpool. And you look at Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola and their teams look like them look like their characters. Uh, they put demands on players and the players go out and put the demands on each other and they look like complete teams and that's what the rest of us are all trying to get to. Yes, they've got great players, they've got top players, but we're all trying to get there. Now, I went over to uh, one of our owners, Wes Edens, also owns Milwaukee Bucks and they're incredible at the moment. Their, their record in the NBA is fantastic and I went over last season to watch them and just watching how they work and uh, the team ethic. You walked into their training centre and you could feel the culture straight away. And it was one of continual education, continual learning and elite, elite basketball of getting better. And uh, the coach there, Bud, was, he was brilliant. And he was the one who, who was leading it all. And you could see people looking up at, up at, up at him. And I, I sat there talking to his coaches uh, as well as him as well and they just said that he allows us to ask questions he allows us to to push boundaries at times but he's the biggest decision maker you know uh, in the whole lot and there'll be a lot of questions you know coming out now about leadership of countries because of this virus that we've got now and we all want answers as soon as possible but what you've got to do is get all that information first from all the medical people before you go out and uh you know, give any any sort of advice. Finally, from me, is there, and it needn't be work-related and football-related, Dean, is there a, a book, a podcast, a show, a Netflix series? Is, is there anything out there that you could recommend for people listening to this who might enjoy uh, learning from the, in, whilst we've got this bit of time on our hands? I'm watching the uh, the All Blacks. The All Blacks, I think it's on Prime at the moment. They, it, it's different there because it's a culture and we have to try and recreate that culture there, you know, they talk about always their, their their role when they get that all black shirt is to leave it in a better place. And we're always trying to, we haven't got the culture of what the all blacks have, but we can actually try and create that. And, um, you know, that's what I'm trying to do now at, at Aston Villa. I tried to do it at Brentford. I tried to do it at Warsaw. And, you know, it's what I see at Manchester city and Liverpool at the moment, that culture. Um, but the all blacks is a really good watch at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And it goes back to, you know, when they played the Lions first and how they how they progress on from that and how they want to just keep continually pushing themselves and getting better. Well, Dean, before I hand back to Matt, um, I did get to know you for three years. Uh, I saw you most weeks for, for three years. Um, every day was interesting. I never left that training ground or match day without, without that phrase, well, that was another interesting day and that was another interesting morning. So thank you for taking me back, but also thank you for allowing me back to talk to you today and, and listen to your 
up-to-date views in, in this remarkable time. So, Dean, from me, before I'm back to Matt, thank you very much. I hope to see you soon, by the way. Yes. I hope to see you soon. I, I, I'm sure you look lovely on Zoom and you have a good home haircut, but I'd much rather see you and, and have one of our boot room cups of tea. But uh, stay safe in your family. Uh, best regards to them, of course, Dean. And I'll hand you back to Matt. But from me again, thank you very much. It's been lovely to catch up with you again. Thank you, and you, Michael. Likewise. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Michael. That was really brilliant to chat to you first time, Dean. Very best of luck to you and the club um, when football resumes, whenever that may be. And, you know, a pleasure to speak to you. Safe, Stay safe and uh, pass on our regards to the rest of the team at Villa Park and Bordymore Heath. I will do that. Um, Thank you very much. That's it for another episode. But if you've enjoyed these podcasts, then you can find many more like this, as well as the series that my colleague John Porch runs on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred platform. Check out our Twitter account too, as we post almost everything on there. That's at leaders underscore insight. As always, if you'd like to engage with the teams in the Premier League and the other top organisations around the high performance network on a regular basis, then head over to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance to learn more about the home of total high performance. Thanks to our podcast sponsor, Football Manager, the global hit computer simulation game. Like I said earlier on, in today's data age, Football Manager data is used by professional clubs at all levels in 51 countries and helps identify talent to optimise their recruitment process for scouting teams around the world. To find out more, email data at footballmanager.com. Once again, thank you to the team behind the scenes for making this all possible. Hopefully, you're all enjoying the conversations. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon.